You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. It's so cool, not only the work that you guys have done as moms made you stand and pray for you, but uh, again, I'd love to hear more stories, but we talked a little bit to a few people. I was able to talk to a few people of you guys uh, sharing memories of your moms, because we all have mothers, and uh, they've instilled some important lessons and principles to us. And so, man, I hope wherever you are at in this lifestyle, maybe you're a son or a daughter, or maybe you're a, a grandmother or a mother with older kids, younger kids, uh, maybe you're a mother in this room or watching online, we wish you a Mother's Day, a happy Mother's Day. Pray that you would really uh, know the role and the importance of a mom and um, your responsibility and the impact that you have. You know, one, someone, someone, someone said uh, this about mothers, the influence of a mother in their lives of her children are beyond calculation. Can you agree with that? Yeah, sometimes it's really hard and you take a role, you want to see fruit, right? You just want to do this and get this outcome. But moms uh, and, and parents in general, you instill so much more than you could ever even see in one's life. Uh, you parent, 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 and all of a sudden, years later, you see the fruit, and uh, it's a blessing to be able to honor you and do that. Now, listen, I know that Mother's Day is a secular holiday, okay? Okay, it's just something we made up on the calendar to make sure us men, we remember to honor our wives, right, and our moms. That's okay. But let me give you a verse here, because we're in church, and I want to give you some biblical content for it. We're going to be studying this later. It's in the Law of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 12. It says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Just a quick FYI, it would be great for you to honor your mothers and your fathers so you would live long. This is a biblical principle. And so we want to honor moms today. We want to honor fathers next uh, month. And um, man, whether it be a special gift or a special message we have for you today, uh, we just want to continue to... Take God's word, apply it to our lives, and uh, really be appreciative of the grace that he's given us. Oftentimes, think about this room. We think about, uh, I see the beautiful gifts that God has given us as a church and a body. Or we can see the empty seats. And so we have to take our eyes off of sometimes uh, the flesh or what the world would think. And we have to say, what is the biblical perspective or worldview of our life of what God has given us and um, listen, not to say that all of our parents are perfect or anything like that, but we need to honor them. We need to honor and we need to enjoy the grace that God's given us because God is the, our good father and he's given us all good gifts. And so thanks for being here. You're a gift to our church, to our, my life, to the body of Christ. And we're excited to sort of, we're working in this book Exodus and we're going to do another special message tonight to give you more of the context and have a little bit of Mother's Day application fun. Sound good? Sound good. All right, so open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. Chapter 2 is where we left off, verse 10. We're going to do chapter, 11, or chapter 2, verse 11. And then I want to just read one verse from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 64, 8, and sort of put these two things together in a message I'm calling God Knows. God Knows. It's going to apply to the moms, but it will apply to all of us because God's word has an amazing aspect of that where it teaches us right in whatever season we're at and whatever responsibility, whatever role it is. And so I was pretty excited and learned a lot, even 
Moses' parents' names, we're going to learn tonight. And so uh, Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Now, Isaiah chapter 64 The prophet Isaiah spoke on behalf of the Lord, and God wanted us to know who he was and his character. He would send these prophets in the Old Testament. And in verse 8, it just says this. But now, O Lord, you are our God. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Let me pray for you real quick. I know Pastor Robin did that, but I want to do that too. God, we thank you so much for all the moms and everyone listening here. We pray for your word. It will be anointed. It will go out with authority, with strength, that it would come up with a blessing as we come to study and to worship your word from tonight. Lord, last week we took a chapter and a half. This week we're taking one verse. Your word has this type of power and strength and um, just beauty of it, that we can take time, we can study and glean things from your Spirit. And so, Spirit of God, move, uh, continue to pour out your grace upon us, and we just pray for a blessing as we come to worship you through your word tonight. It's in your name we pray, and everyone said, amen. All right, here's where we pick up the study of Exodus. Uh, it's this key character, Moses. Uh, Next week, I did order you a pamphlet of Moses because, remember, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, are the books of Moses. They're written by this key character, and I think sometimes it's good to have a time frame of him. So let me give you some perspective because his life is interesting enough divided into three parts. Three parts uh, by 40 years. He lived 120 years, and one commentator said this. He spent his first 40 years in Egypt, nursed by his mother, and taught by the Egyptian schools. He spent his second 40 years in the desert, nursed by solitude and taught by God. And he spent his last final 40 years with the Hebrew people in the wilderness, nursed by trials, discouragement, and tests, and taught by the law, which he received from God's open hand. I think a simpler way of putting it was this evangelist D.L. Moody. He said this uh, about Moses' sort of section and life. Because what you see in verse 11 is, Then Moses grew up. We're moving on to another section. He said this, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was a somebody. He spent the second 40 years learning he was a nobody. He spent the third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. And so we see significant moments in Moses' life that we're able to study and glean from. Just probably like you've had significant moments, especially parents, when you have your first child and and you don't realize how much love you can have in your heart, and then it just expands. And then you have more children. It keeps on expanding. There are certain moments or uh, things that sort of mark our life, and we're moving on into a new mark in Moses' life. But what I want to do is give you a framework of his life because so often we rush by simple verses. Simple verses like, one day when Moses had grown up. You know, the New King James Version said, it came to pass in those days. Doesn't it just seem like this and your children just grow up? They just, I mean, one little verse can describe a whole lifetime sometimes. And what we need to do in the Bible as we study this is we need to not move on and understand what section and where what God is doing and how he was working. Because I think it would be wise for us today, 
to slow down and to get some more content of Moses' life and contemplate on the first section of his life as we sort of looked at this incredible story of even how Moses was saved. Saved in a hard time. You remember last week, I referred to Psalm 66, 5 through 7 of how God really invites us to come and see the mighty works that he did. And Moses' name is supposed to remind us of the mighty works that God can do. He was drawn out of the water, literally what his name means. Uh, We should be a people that study God's word to know God more, to understand our redemption and our relationship with him and apply these truths to our lives. And so for order us to do that, we must have to study and contemplate and take time to meditate on his word. Uh, Another psalm for you for this week, Psalm 77, verse 12, it says, I will ponder all your work and I will meditate on your mighty deeds. And throughout the Psalms, you see this crazy word, Selah, strong holds H, five, five, four, five. I love looking up these Hebrew and Greek words, right? It literally just means to pause, contemplate, rest, reflect. And that's what I want to do with you tonight as we look at this one verse, to reflect, to pause, to understand, to Selah in Moses' life and story and to draw important lessons for us today. Because remember, verse, verse 10, just the verse before, it tells us he was drawn out of water. We're to remember God's works. We have this invitation to come and see. And so what can we learn from this transitional sort of moment in Moses' life? Now, to give you a little recap, whether you were here last week or just coming to us now today and just understanding the story, verse uh, 1 through 10 in chapter 2, we really see the birth of Moses. And it's an incredible story, right? Uh, he's, it's his first part of his life. God had delivered him from Pharaoh's crazy just hatred, malice, evilness. Uh, had, Pharaoh, uh, he actually gave the order to kill all the newborn babies because he was jealous. He wanted his position. Remember, Pharaoh, remember, that's not the name of him. It's a position, a title like king or like the great white house. Uh, It's just people would have this title of Pharaoh that would rule in Egypt at the the time. And he wanted to exalt himself and didn't want the people of uh, Israel to rise up and didn't want these male children to rise up and to war against them. And this was the exact moment in history, the exact time, roughly around 400 BC, 3,500 years ago, uh, when Moses's Uh, mother's womb was born with a child. Psalm 39 tells us this, that Moses was conceived in that moment. Isn't that crazy? Of all the moments, of all the hard times, this is where uh, Moses' mom and dad would have him, this sweet baby, in this terrible trial. And the stress and the pain, thinking about, will my child die? Will he be murdered? There's this command to kill all these babies. Now I'm pregnant. And God from the very beginning of this book, starts to show us uh, that he is greater than any other king or any other pharaoh, any other idol, any other man or position that would come against him. And God providentially outwits Pharaoh and his commands by actually using Pharaoh's own daughter to save Moses. It's crazy because Pharaoh is never worried about the women, but it's in this text that all the women actually God uses 
He uses the midwives. He uses his daughter. He uses Moses' mom, the sister. All these men, uh, uh, all these women of God are raised up and God uses them. And so God is teaching us from the very start, there's no one greater than him. This Pharaoh wanted to be king, but he is not a king. God is king and he'll do what he pleases. Even when we have commands, our rules, our laws, he can outwit us and his plan will not be thwarted. Proverbs verse 21 through uh, 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is the stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. That even in the hardship, even in the pain, God had a purpose and a plan. And we're going to see this as we move on to the next section of Moses' life where God will actually prove again that there is no one like him, that no one can match his glory. And so what I want to do today is fill in some details from the first 40 years of Moses' life, this first section of his life, to learn some important parenting principles and give us some more context of this book. One of the things I love about Moses is there's so much scripture that actually gives us insight to his life. And so we're going to look at some of these cross-references and get some principles. And the first thing I want you to understand or to learn today is this. God used Moses' family to shape him. God used his family of origin his own family, to shape who Moses was and would become. I love how in this text, in chapter 2, it teaches us a little about his parents, his sister, his family. Uh, Verse 1 says, A man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. And verse 2 says, They bore a son. That son was Moses. But Scripture gives us more insight. And as we read Exodus, it even tells us the name of these parents. And this is significant and important, especially us as parents, because so many times we get our identity as parents and we just lose ourselves. But God knows us. He's given us that role. It's a part of our role, but we still have an individual relationship with him. There's, there's something to this. Exodus 6.20 reveals their name. Amrad is Moses' dad's name. Amrad. Aren't you glad that's not your daddy's name? Okay? Individual name. And then his wife, Jochebed. Jochebed. Sounds like a Star Wars name. Remember, these are Hebrew names. Now, Hebrew names significantly mean something because God would actually name people for their characteristics or what they mean. Amrad would actually mean exalted people. That Moses came from a line of exalted people. They were people that would exalt God. And Jochebed, it actually means Jehovah is glory. That these people would give God glory. And this was his family heritage. Moses was born in a Hebrew family at a specific time. You see, this is significant because being an Israelite was not necessarily a good thing. In in the world, in the flesh, you didn't want to be a, a Hebrew boy or even, in fact, a Hebrew girl, because they were immigrants, slaves. They had uh, been punished, and they were discriminated. Poor immigrants, now in a foreign land. And it was commanded that all the babies were going to be killed, and this, this whole nation was going to be persecuted. But never forget this. This is so important for our faith today. Acts 17, 26, Paul would teach this and tell us that God has allotted a certain period that we live in, a border, and the time that we are born in. We are no mistake. This is a significant statement, meaning this. Our ethnicity is a gift from God. Our culture, our race, the family that we have specifically been inherited 
has been given to us by God, and it is no mistake that Moses was born at this time. And it is no mistake that you've been born in this time. For such a time as this, we're to serve the Lord, to know God. And God placed this beautiful baby in this beautiful family for a specific purpose. Now, you may not think about Moses and his family, but the Bible actually looks at family units because he was from the house of Levi, and he had these two parents. And look at what Numbers 26 through 59. It gives us a little more insight of Moses' family and knowing that he's the youngest of three children. He's the youngest of three children. It starts to trip me out. It makes it more like real, right? That's right. We read that he had an older sister in chapter 2, but we read in Numbers 26 her name, Miriam. It says the name of Amran's, Amran's wife, right, was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And she bore to Amrad Aaron, that's Moses' big brother, Moses, and Miriam, their sister. And so we also see sort of the origin or the family history, the dynamics of Moses, that Moses had an older brother, Aaron. Exodus chapter 7, verse 7 tells us that Aaron was three years older than Moses. And so it seemed like he just missed the mark of this direct order from Pharaoh to kill babies. Because now he's three or three years older than Moses. And seven, verse 7 of Exodus, it says that Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83. So he has an older brother, but we know that an older sister in chapter 2 was walking down the river following. So Miriam, the eldest, is following Moses, and there's this family dynamic of what will happen to this not only baby, but the baby. You know what I'm talking about? The last one, the, the young one. Even older brothers, they know older sisters. You take care of the, the younger ones. And so the older sister, Miriam, now is going and, and following this baby. And so Moses is the youngest of siblings. His family of origin really shaped him. We see Moses grow up. And in verse 11, it says something interesting. He identifies still as a, as the, as a Hebrew, the people of Hebrew. Read with me verse 11. It says, he, speaking of Moses, went out to his people. Who are his people? These oppressed Israelites, these Jews, the Hebrews. And he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. These are different races, ethnicities, different times. And he says these are one of his people. Remember, this is Moses' writing. He's identifying his family of origin, his ethnicity, his background. He's aware of his family history, and God specifically used that in further purposes. Now, why do I say all this? Because I think it's such a shame culture that we live in right now where we can actually be ashamed of our family of origin. That we are identified as like being the middle child or the oldest or the youngest or this background or of this race or this country or whatever it may be. But if you look up at space, you see a world. And in this world, God made everyone. And he allotted to us certain people and it's for a specific reason, whether it be you be a black person, <laughs> from a Mexican person, an Ethiopian person. Like there are different styles and God loves this beauty and God specifically loves you the way you are. This is very important because like I said, in the culture of shame, we elevate certain races or certain classes or whatever it may be. And even in this day, they were doing that. 
The Egyptians treated the Hebrews with a malice, with a hatred, with racism. But God does not view people like that. Moses' birth, think about this, may have even been an inconvenience for his parents. Being the youngest, I'm sure they probably didn't want to have a baby at this time. Could have even been a mistake. But I want to let you know that it was planned by God. God gave this child to this family. There are no mistakes to God. He knows everyone's frame and he allows people to be alive. Now, a little Mother's Day application or parenting application. I want to encourage you moms, God knows specifically your children. He knows specifically you're the mother of those children. This is by no mistake. You have been equipped, called for this task. Your kids are gifts from God for you and to you. He will use whatever family of origin that he has given them, no matter how broken or how whole you think your family is. No family is perfect, but every person is placed perfectly into a family. Let me say that again. No family is perfect, but every person is placed perfectly into a family. And God is able to redeem and use all of our broken families for His glory. We don't need to be ashamed of our family of origin or all the stuff that goes through. We need to have faith in God that He could redeem and gave us this responsibility and calling to love and serve and make disciples of our children. We need to know that God is in our history and in our culture, and we need to trust Him even over our ethnicity or our culture or our background or whatever it may be. We need to teach our children about who this God is and not just teach our children about who our aunts and uncles are or our traditions are. God knows this, and He used Moses' family to shape him, to mold him. It was all a part of God's plan. The second thing we see is not only was the Moses' family shaping him, but God used Moses' parents' faith to shape him. It wasn't just a certain family or ethnicity or culture that shaped Moses, but it was the faith that his parents had to exalt Jesus like Amrad's name means, exalted people, and to give Jehovah glory that these parents had in their life exemplifying it as well. And we know this from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. It tells us that Moses' parents, they feared God. They didn't fear Pharaoh. They feared a greater king and saw that Moses was beautiful, that he had a specific place and a purpose, and, and they weren't ashamed of this. And they understood that this child was no mistake and had faith that there was a plan and purpose for his life. So rather than killing their child, their son, they hid him for three months until they couldn't hide him anymore. And it seems like in Exodus chapter 2, when you read the story that Jochebed, Moses' mother, had a specific plan to try to save him. She made this basket, right? And she placed it in the reeves by the riverbank. So just notice, she had known the stories of Noah and how he would be saved by God in an ark, in a place. And there's this picture, but she didn't just dump him in the river to just go downstream, it says she placed him in the reeds or in the weeds or in the spot where he wouldn't just float off. And it was there where Pharaoh's daughter regularly bathed. I know you moms, you have some strategic planning for you. You have some wisdom, some discernment. And this seems like Moses' mom is having discernment and wisdom to be used uh, by God to place her son and pray for a certain plan. 
And so God used the parent's faith by placing him in a basket, their works, to save the child. This was a risky thing. They could have gotten caught. We talked about this last time. Can you imagine just like hiding your child to not make a noise? The first thing that comes to my mind, and I'm sorry, but I'm just a fleshly person, is the movie Quiet Place. Have you seen that? There's these monsters, and if you make any noise, the monster come attack you. And it's this, this crazy, scary movie because like the whole movie, usually horror movies, they have this, uh, this music and this sound to frighten you. The whole movie is just quiet because if you make any noise. And they, they have this baby, and this mom has to give birth in a bathtub to make no noise. This is scaring you, isn't it, Lucas? I know. It's freaky. I was like, oh, I don't want to see it. Laura made me watch it. I just, okay. It's only PG-13, but it scared me to death, man. It was crazy. And then part two, the baby grows. And now it's like this toddler, like this few-month-old. And, and like, how in the world do you keep this baby quiet? Can you imagine not only for the Egyptians to hear it, but they had given the decree and command. There were probably Hebrews that heard this. And rather than suffering, they would dime each other out or snitch or... This is all slang. How do I say this? They would tell other people <laughs> about this child, and authorities can just come and kill these children. Can you imagine how frightening, how fearful that was, how risky that was, because then you would be disobeying the king, and not only would you have the hand of Pharaoh on your son, but on you and your whole family. You have to understand This is like real life for them. And this was true faith. They had to work. They had action. And it's seriously their action and believing in God that he can save and that he was greater than Pharaoh literally saved Moses' life. Our faith will save people's lives, starting with us and then our families. One commentator said, Moses became a great man of faith because his father and mother were people of faith. They were Levites that evidently committed to the things of God. So much so that the Holy Spirit includes Moses' parents in this great list of all these people that had great faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to this in chapter 11, verse 24 through 26. It tells us that this faith that they had shaped and influences Moses' life as well to have faith. It says, by faith now, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. They were my people, the Hebrew people, my God. Moses saw firsthand the fruit of faith from his parents' lives by being saved because of their faith. Don't you think that impacted him when he grew up? to choose to trust God as well? He must have known about this story. Hey, Mom, where did you come from? Who's my dad? Well, I actually found you in some reeds. And my my father, Pharaoh at the time, he made this command, but I saw you and there was beauty in you and and you've actually adopted. Well, who are my real parents? And what does that look like? Well, we're going to see that Moses' mom actually would be able to share her life and invest in him. But can I give you some parenting application or Mother's Day application from this point? How Moses' parents' faith shaped Moses? Your kids will be impacted by your faith. They will. They're going to see your action, and they do see your action, and it will rub off on them. And this is why having faith in Jesus 
for yourself as a parent is so important. Yes, all of our kids must choose to follow Jesus themselves. But we as a parent can show them the fruit of following Jesus in our home. We could show them the fruit. We could show them the benefit. Let your kids see you pray. Tell them that you have need or confess your sin to them. Apologize. Let them watch you worship. Bring them to church. A living faith is a great example, one where people can see you up close. And you can't necessarily hide your faith all the time with your family. But children learn more than being taught, but things being caught. You don't have to have all the theological background, all these cross-references. So they're going to say, well, does my mom steal and does she lie? Does she cheat? Is she kind? She's, they're just going to naturally know this thing. Well, I guess if they do this, then I, do, I could do this. Or they get their morals or they get their impact. Well, church is important to them, so it's going to be important to me. I know for me, growing up in a Christian home, my dad was a pastor, and my dad and mom were the same exactly at church as they were at the house. And it helped me. They weren't perfect at both places. But at least they were the same. They weren't hypocritical around other people. And so it's so important for parents to know, hey, your faith has an impact. That's why this book that we gave you, The Power of Praying Mom, I love it because it has a prayer for you, and then it has a prayer for your child. Because out of the overflow of your heart, you were able to do the things God's called you to do and to love your children when you have faith. And don't underestimate your faith in Jesus because he said when you abide in him, you'll bear fruit. You can trust that. And so God used Moses' family of origin, his ethnicity, his culture, his background. He used his parents' faith. And finally, we see this may be a scary one for us in this moment in history, parents. God used Moses' culture to shape him. He used Moses' culture to shape him. God doesn't just place us in a certain family at a certain time, but in a context of time for our growth in a context of borders and nations and boundaries. And I think this is especially important to note because we as parents are always concerned about our child's safety. And as we think about Scripture and apply it to life right now, we understand we live in the last days. These times are evil. People are saying what is good to be evil and what is evil to be good. And it could be a, a totally scary, freaky time in life. So much so when I see new couples, they say, well, I don't even want to have children. Why would you even have children right now to be born in this terrible culture? But God is a greater king than culture. And God could still use and bless and love and serve and has his way in people right here, right now. We, I think, have all experienced sin as older people and we know the results and we want to guard our children from that sin, the harsh reality and consequence of that sin. But only God can save and redeem our children just like only God can save and redeem us and bless us in this time right now as his children. And just like Moses, our kids, sadly, will grow up. Not be in our homes or maybe our influence anymore. And the story goes on in one verse. It just pierces your heart, one little swish. Moses grew up like every mother crying when their child goes to college. But it was short-lived. It was a painful experience because it wasn't even when he was an adult. It was as he was growing. He was weaned as a child from his mother's side. 
And many scholars believe this weaning period would be a few years, probably around age four or five, six, maybe at the latest. But it was a time before he was fully even grown up, and, but it was a very influential time in his life. Can you imagine the closeness, the love that his mother had? Because the story goes, Pharaoh's daughter saw Moses, named him Moses, and was like, ah, I'm not pregnant. I need someone to wean this child. And Miriam, Moses' older sister, is like, I know someone. She's like, great, go find him. It was Moses' mom. The mom got actually paid to wean the child. But in those influential, multiple years, can you imagine Moses' mom reciting the stories of Genesis, saying, no, this is who you are. This is the beauty of your faith. We saw beauty in you. You have a plan and purpose and teaching him God's ways because we know that their parents had a faith in God. We know what their names mean. And so it may be insignificant to us, but these formative years of being a baby in the mother's presence and just power of presence is so important to a child. These were formative years And in verse 9, it says, she was with him as he grew, as he weaned, as he grew. So like Proverbs 1, 8, and 9 tells us, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and penance for your neck. Jochebed's teaching would be like a pennant or a garland to Moses as he would be raised up in a totally foreign, different place. Because in verse 10, when the child grew older, it says she, Jochebed, brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. Wow. How terrifying of a story is that? How painful of a process is that? Moses' world is about to turn, be turned upside down. He was going from slave quarters to a palace. He was going from learning about the God of heaven to now going to go into learning about all of the Egyptian gods and all these false idols. It was literally from one world to another. A people that were hated to a people that were the, the oppressors and, and loved. The people that were trying to serve God and do the right thing and being condemned for it and the people that were condemning doing the wrong thing and it was just crazy. And I think with one verse we don't realize the impact of this culture on Moses and how strong it is. You see there are concerns for our culture today. It's okay to have concerns and have stress and anxiety but don't forget how good and how powerful God is. You know one commentator F. B. Meyer, he wrote it this way, which I think is, is a healthy imagination. He said this, The mother's heart must have suffered bitterly as she let her baby go into the unknown world with the great palace gates. And a very lonely, uh, and very lonely must the little household have felt when the last kisses had been exchanged, the last instruction given, and the last prayer offered. Can you imagine the pain in that house? Not just by the mothers. The mother gives Moses to Pharaoh's daughter, but the dad, the older sister. I thought, I thought God had a plan. I thought we saved her. Aaron, not knowing what's going on. Well, wait, wait, where's my brother? Wait, where'd he go? Isaiah 49, 15 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child? 
that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even though Moses left the house, Josebed, uh, Jochebed would always love him as a son. I think this is why moms are so special to our hearts because we know that there's going to be an unconditional love given to us from our mothers. And when it doesn't happen, it's heartbreaking. But yet the Lord was with Moses as he was sent out into this scary situation. And again, text of Scripture enlightens us in this historical event. The first martyr of the church, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, when he was evangelizing and preaching to those that would kill him, he teaches us some more insight of what Moses and his family was going through in this. In Acts chapter 7, verse 20 through 22, he gives a whole diagram of the people of God, but he gets to this specific section. He says, at this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. Now, we've just read that he was beautiful in the parents' sight. This is why they had faith. They, they saw the beauty of this child. Stephen says, no, God sees the beauty of your children as well. He has the, their hand on his life. God saw Moses' beauty, and he, brought, he was brought up for three months in his father's house, Amaran. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses, listen to this, was instructed in all wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in words and in deeds. There's our little insight where we can glean from and learn and, and see something a little bit different. You see, Pharaoh's daughter was nurturing Moses now as her own son, adopted son. That word nurture or to care for, in some translation says to rear, to train, or to educate. She was going to nurture him and train him and educate him because Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses and immediately began preparing him for a proper life in Pharaoh's court. Pharaoh was now a prince. I mean, Moses was now a prince. Historian Josephus tells us that because of Pharaoh, he had no son or heir. Moses was being nurtured for the throne. And so Moses, this text says, was educated in all the learning of Egyptians. Now, we know from last study that the Egyptians right now were the leading uh, people of the world. Right? I mean, they built incredible things. They had uh, great uh, engineering technology. They had a lot of wisdom. Uh, it, it was crazy. And this preparation made him mighty, the, the text says, mighty in words and in deeds. One commentator says this, archaeologists and historians have done us a great service in unearthing and bringing out to our attention some facts concerning the premier education center at the time. It was called the Temple of the Sun. The Temple of the Sun and it was known in the ancient world as the Oxford of the ancient world. This is the type of education that Moses not only would have gone to, but it's the text says he excelled. He was educated in this. You would begin with learning hieroglyphics, which some say is the most difficult language to put in writing. You would learn with this language, and then he would learn things like science, medicine, astronomy, chemistry, philosophy, law, and a theology of all these other false gods. He would even study warfare. 
He would do combat tactics, music, uh, sculpture, painting, the arts, and be a well-rounded student to be one that could rule a kingdom. So basically, his upbringing now will be immersed in education. He would earn the respect of the Egyptian people, as the text says, learned in all wisdom of Egypt. That was a term that they respected, and if he was accelerating in that, they would know Moses as a well rounded, educated, noble man. Not just in words, but in deeds. Here's something interesting I found. It's an extra biblical source, but I thought it was actually interesting. One person said this about Moses. By the time Moses reached 30, extra biblical historians tell us Moses had already led the Egyptian army to a victory over the Ethiopians. Because he was excelled not only in words, but in deeds. So he had some deeds to prove that he actually applied this education and it molded him. He was a proven leader, looked good in the education world or the Egyptian world. The Egyptians valued learning, one commentator said, and the educated man was thought to have a great advantage over the uneducated. Another commentator, uh, Adolf Ehrman, in The Life of Ancient Egypt, he asserts that learning divided the ruling class and those that were ruled. This was all a part of his upbringing of culture that Stephen gives us this insight into. Why is this important? Because God would use Moses and his education to write the first five books of the Bible. God would actually use Moses as a leader. We see that as he was leaving his biological family at this painful, horrible process, God was still able to like catapult him into a culture to be educated and excel in learning. And God would use that education, that way of writing and, and learning to write down the Levitical law. If you've ever read that, you know you have to be smart to write some of these things because you get bored out of your mind just reading it. He had to retain things. He had a sharp mind. And he was educated. And we see that his upbringing brought a lot of pride and temptation. So we're going to study in the next chapter. God had to humble him, and he would humble him so much so that Moses would say, well, I can't even speak. Well, he could. He just didn't have the confidence that he can do what God called him to do. But God used Moses' mom to teach him. As Proverbs 31, 26 tells us, godly women do. He, she taught him who God was, had faith, and God would protect Moses even in the Egyptian culture of this educational process, this evil culture. He was sent out, like Psalm 127 says, as arrows into the culture as children should be, making a difference and an impact. We're going to later study. Well, what's our Mother's Day application or parent application for this? Well, parents, invest in your children while you can. Don't take this time for granted. Teach them God's word, his values. Bring them to church. Tell them stories of faith. Just as Jacobed uh, uh, did with, with Moses. You know, for us as a family, putting our children to bed has been just a critical, important, impactful sort of ministry. We get a process with our kids. Tell them we love them. Pray with them. Uh, just be with them. And it's a hard thing to do. Sometimes you don't want to do that. Sometimes you want to break, uh, have a break. The harsh reality is that our children will one day leave our homes, though. And we don't realize that until they're gone. And so we need to be asking ourselves, well, what can we do right now? 
You may say, well, I, I didn't do that when they were young. But they're this old now. What can you do now? Maybe you just have to start texting them, calling them, investing in them more, writing them letters, sending them cash. I don't know. <laughs> Children always love that. But just imagine the mother when she let go and had to trust God. You may be so discouraged right now, and I, I want to I give you a little bit of encouragement before we finish. Go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, I think Jesus understands that we'll lose heart, that we'll be discouraged when we can't control anymore. Parenting is such a hard thing because we have all this responsibility, all this control, because if we don't do stuff, our children literally will die. They can't even eat, can't even feed themselves. And then we go to a place where they just abandon us and leave us, and we have no control. And it's just heart-wrenching. But Jesus gives us this parable. In Luke chapter 18, he told this parable to the effect that you ought always to pray and not lose heart. If you're a parent out there and you're discouraged, you may have lost heart. Jesus says you can pray. Moses' parents really couldn't do anything else besides praying this moment. And so Jesus said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the, woman, and the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus knows that we're going to get discouraged as parents and as a people. So he tells us to pray. I almost called this message and went, you can pray. In your parenting, you can pray. Because what we can do as parents, when it seems like we can't do anything, we can pray. We can pray for our children. We can pray for other people. When we don't have control, it will, it will cause our hearts to just lose control. Moses' mom is physically letting go, but many of us know what that's like to, fit, to just spiritually and emotionally let go, where you cannot do anything. But Jesus says, don't lose heart. You can pray. Because he's not like this wicked judge. He's a good God. He hears our prayers. And our prayers make a difference. And we should always be praying for our children. We need to always pray. And you can imagine Moses' parents at this moment just continually investing in him through prayer. They said goodbye, but yet they were praying to God, trusting him. And God is not a harsh judge. He's a loving father and wants us to trust in him with our children. And so there was this verse in the beginning of the message, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. It reveals this truth about God I think is important for us as parents. Because I think we think we have more control than we, we really do. It says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work in your hands. So in this verse, we just take a pause and we say, Selah, 
God knows. God knew each section of Moses' life, and he knew this moment in his life. It was no mistake. It was a painful thing for the parents. And I think we all have those painful things or moments in our lives. But God placed Moses in this family at this time. He gave him certain parents in this specific history, and he still does that today. God knows your weaknesses. He knows your strength. He knows your children. He knows all the painfuls, ups and downs that you're going to have. He knows, and he's shaping you through them, and he's shaping your children through you. And so he wants us to trust him even in the hard times. That's last week's message, remember? It was a hard time, but yet we still trust God because he can use us and our faith for his glory. And so let's continue to trust God in our lives, with our families, and trust that God has a plan. Because wasn't it his plan at the, just the right time and the right moment of history, Galatians 4.4 4 says, that he sent his son, Jesus, to save all of humanity to redeem. And this was the right time and the right moment that Moses was born. You know, it's the right time and the right moment that you are alive right now. God knows you, he loves you, and he cares for you. And he says, when you gather together, remember that great love because there's going to be some hard times, but he is a good father. He can mold you and he could even use the hard, painful parts of your life to shape you. Even when we think they're awful, and they are, and we can say they're awful, he can still work. No one will outwit our King Jesus and we can trust him. And so let's remember that today and let's take communion to close our service. God, we thank you so much for your goodness for your grace. We thank you that we can sort of linger and just imagine a little bit how you were working in Moses' life. Oftentimes we have to imagine because the reality is, Lord, you work even when we don't see it or feel it. And so we thank you, God, that you have your hand on all of our lives, that you are a giver of good gifts, that you give grace to us. And we just want to remember that. We want to reflect on that. We want to bless you for that. We would come to you and we say, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And we just trust that you are always working. So may you work as we respond to you now. May we continue to trust you. And may we bless your name. We thank you, Lord, for your good and great plan on all of our lives and our children's lives. To your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. This is Pastor Amen. We're going to take communion. We're going to sing one song. And so Robin will come up and lead us in communion. And we'll you can subscribe reflect to and just take that time. This iTunes, song talks Google about how Play, God... Our YouTube. So you has never his hand on all of us. And I hope you're the encouraged mission of Redemption that. Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. And we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.